Welcome to the New Flesh Podcast, a podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror movies, horror, and the horror lifestyle. My name is Brett Arnold, at Brett Redacted on Twitter.com. I'm here with my co-host, Jesse Hassinger, at RockMarooned on Twitter.com. And we are here this week to talk about a movie I'm thrilled to talk about. I can't believe we've never discussed it on this podcast before. It is uh, definitely a horror classic which sound which doesn't even feel right to say it's a classic i don't know if the word horror it should even be involved in uh this particular movie so should we be talking about it on the patreon should we put this behind <laughs> the paywall this is in breach of our uh, new flesh code <laughs> the paywall has been breached the paywall has been breached everyone's jumping over and taking all the free pods um all right so this is the army of darkness episode and, uh, you know, to keep pace with uh, the movie itself, we will be releasing four different versions of this episode uh, on various platforms. And uh, you can only hear certain parts of it on certain platforms. And uh, some of the versions are like in the wrong format of audio and you can't really see or hear all of it. So uh, congratulations <laughs> if you're hearing this. You found the right one. Uh, you found the Shout Factory special edition of this episode. You found the Shout Factory collector's edition of Army of Darkness, which is, you know, the be-all, end-all of Army of Darkness home video releases. <laughs> there have been so <laughs> many. I mean, this franchise is littered with so many, partially because of, like, the weird ways they were produced with, like, you know, Dino De Laurentiis selling the rights to, like, 50 different countries or whatever it was. Um, or even Irvin Shapiro doing that for the first one. So, like, the rights are everywhere. So, like, different territories are different releases. But even in the U.S., the rights were a problem. <laughs> and, like, sh the rights for this movie, in particular, Army of Darkness, are shared between Universal and the Dino De Laurentiis group, I believe it's called. Uh, so, it, I understand why it is the way it is. But I only found out the other day how bad the current blu-ray edition that i owned of army of darkness was uh i had the i think it's called the ultimate screwhead edition which <laughs> sounds like it, it has like nothing it has <laughs> nothing on it it sounds like it's gonna have everything on it right but unfortunately yeah. it uh they went with nothing instead yeah. <laughs> so i was able to like same day order army of darkness on blu-ray on a saturday and get it that night the collector's edition from shout factory somehow so i have watched the feature length documentary that's on there which is wonderful and also a uh, spoiler alert i don't know if it's not really a spoiler i'm gonna say someone someone doesn't want you to hear this but you can watch that entire feature length documentary on youtube it is there and you can watch it and i recommend it it is one of the best like behind the scenes you know uh 
feature uh, behind the scenes bonus feature documentaries that kind of stands on its own as a great little doc, not just a bonus feature. Highly recommend it. That one's called, I believe it's called Medieval Times, The Making of Army of Darkness. So we're talking about Army of Darkness and all that that entails. There's a lot of news this week uh, already, even though we're recording this a little early. We're recording this so early that I'm going to go ahead and plug the live episode of the New Flesh podcast that we just recorded yesterday. And it went... I'm leaving it blank so we can insert... (laughs) Perfectly. (laughs) It went wonderful. Flawless. (laughs) We had a great time. Um, Yeah, who knows how that went? Is it the first and the last? Or just the first of many? Who knows? We're just going to... Every episode from then forward will be live at the Museum of the Queen Image, whether they want us there... Or not. We are chaining we'll ourselves to the Redstone Theater. We will not leave. <laughs> we are occupying Momi. <laughs> Hashtag Occupy Momi. Hashtag the new flash. I hope everything's going well. It's been a couple days. <laughs> We've been here at Momi. Um, but no, we're there. I don't know why I'm plugging it. We talked about Day of the Dead. Oh, yeah, I know why I'm plugging it. This is a perfect transition into what I assume will be next week's Patreon episode. Uh, sorry, my... Oh, that's why. I was wondering why I sounded so weird, and it's because I had a loose cable right here. Ah. So now I just plugged it in, and I'm not going to be distracted anymore. If I sounded like I was talking and also doing things, that's because I was constantly plugging holes like whack-a-mole style, (laughs) trying to figure out what was going on with my mic setup. I'm feeling good, and I'm not going to go back and re-record any of this shit. So what I was saying is, Patreon this week is a very special reason to join Patreon. The bonus live, it's, not, uh, it's, a, it's a live episode. I'm calling it a bonus episode. It will be there as soon as I have the recording. I do not know how the museum of the moving image plans to record this. I haven't done the tech details yet, but I am, you know, it's, plan- it's going to be recorded and it will be uh, released by me. So it will first be released on the Patreon because, you know, we like to have series on this podcast, I say, as we already interrupted Evil Dead to talk about some other shit once. Um, <laughs> but we like to have nice little tied-in-a-bow series. So I'm going to wait to put out our Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead episode until we can seamlessly throw it in as if it, you know, was in the, you know, not recorded out of order when we're talking about George Romero in the future. Spoiler alert. Maybe we will be talking about George Romero in the future. Of the dead. Of the future. I don't know. Uh, So anyway, Patreon. Get on there. Check out the live episode of the New Flesh podcast on Dawn of the Dead and Land of the Dead. And uh, if it went poorly, it'll be there. If it went great, it'll be there. Either way, what a a plug. $5 and you can listen to that potential train wreck. Very exciting. (laughs) All right. And what else do we have to talk about before we get into the news, which I have some breaking news that I think I'm going to I'm going to break to Jesse right now. Oh, boy. Uh, I don't know if you're going to care that much. Is it, is it about is it, is it about Leah Michelle in the No, in... I no, I'm not <laughs> dipping my toe in those waters in the, for the bits and pieces <laughs> segment. But this is just adjacent enough and I like it, so I'm going to talk about it. Only Murders in the Building was just picked up for season 3. 
Yes, I got you know they emailed me about it, so it's not. Oh, sorry, you're also on the Hollywood Reporter email <laughs> news alerts. <laughs> no, I'm on the like Hulu promotional. Oh, oh, oh uh, they, yes. They they like emailed me to be like, guess what? We renewed a show. And <laughs> yes. And I guess they want me to tweet it. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that information, but I'm happy about it because I love it. It's you know it's a rare television show that I watch faithfully, <laughs> so I'm very excited. Yeah, it's also the rare show that I like watch week to week, and I'm excited for. I also am enjoying it quite a bit. Love Martin Short. Love Steve Martin. Enjoy Selena Gomez. <laughs> um, it's a fun show. I did it need to add Amy Schumer in season two? Probably not. But but we're enduring it and we're enjoying it. Yeah, I, I like Amy Schumer. I don't really get like I guess I I've, I've found on, on Twitter that lots of dudes are like I think it's circled back. I mean, sort of lots of ladies too. But I feel like it's circled back around. <laughs> somehow on her i don't know what she did exactly except host the oscars badly but everyone has ever everyone who's done that yeah that's a fool's errand trying to host the <laughs> yeah, oscars yeah. i don't hold that against uh, her uh, uh, i have nothing against yeah, her either like... i just uh, you know I- i'm enjoying season two there's only yeah, been three yeah, episodes or something so far but I'm it is a little it. bit it's more adjacent because there's murders exactly that's that's why i was allowed to talk about it there's some murders involved uh all right the biggest news of the week that just happened is that Stephen King's Salem's Lot, which we've talked about being on the calendar, uh, it's on the calendar for this year for September 9th, 2022, or at least it was, because Warner Brothers has moved uh, New Line's adaptation of Stephen King's vampire novel Salem's Lot from that aforementioned date to April 21, 2023. And here is why. It's due to COVID-related delays in the post-production realm. So the Gary Doberman, uh, the Gary Doberman directed picture also has had a handful of days of additional photography six weeks ago. But that's not like why it's being delayed. It's being delayed because there's specifically there's a backlog in virtual effects houses as several movies are coming down the pike right now. And this is a real thing. Sources tell the deadline reporter because of all the backlog movies, the motion picture business is now facing its own supply chain issues, which we already kind of got wind of when Warner recently shifted all their uh, DC stuff off the calendar. Right. So right. this is just that t- that same uh, menace rearing its head again is these COVID-related uh, people are just, you know, I'm assuming it's like part staffing, but less staffing and more... There's only so many VFX houses, and they're all making all these movies that were just backlogged for a couple years. So it's just, you know, bottlenecking right now. So we'll have to wait for Salem's Lot, which is pretty rude to all of us who just read that book for the first time a few weeks ago (laughs) in anticipation of this movie. And we'll surely forget every detail by the time it comes out now. So uh, pour one out for 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 those of us who did that. Um, the post labor, you know, that was supposed to be a post Labor Day weekend thing. Yeah, the big, the Warner Brothers horror slot that they sort of pioneered there. It's kind of a shame that they don't, they don't have anything to stick in there. And can you place. believe it's just like wide open now? I don't think there's anything. I mean, there's there's something called Dark Harvest, I think. Yeah, and uh, Barbarian like just moved into that slot. Uh, okay, is Barbarian a horror thing? Barbarian is a horror thing starring Bill Skarsgård. Uh, it is a horror thriller. It is about a young woman traveling to Detroit for a job interview, booking a rental home. But when she arrives late at night, she discovers that the house is double booked and a strange man is already staying there. And that strange man is Bill Skarsgård. 
Um, against her better, <laughs> that is strange. He's very strange. Uh, against her better judgment, she decides to spend the evening, but soon discovers there's a lot more fear than just an unexpected house guest. That movie is written and directed by Zach Kreger and also stars Justin Long and Richard Brake and Kurt Brownoller and James Butler and Matthew Patrick da- uh, Davis. Uh, interesting cast. From the star of Tusk. Uh, and then there's also this movie, Dark Harvest, seems like it's some kind of horror-y thing. It's directed by David Slade. Oh, David Slade did a lot of... Uh, is Hard Candy, is that correct? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, 30 Days of Night. 30 Days of Night. And then he really went hard into the TV realm and did a lot of Hannibal, which is really good. I loved all of his yeah, Hannibal. This actually sounds really cool. It's a fantasy horror movie. Okay. Uh, that's like a, like a, I'll just read the Wikipedia plot. Every fall in a small Midwestern town, a supernatural specter named Sawtooth Jack arises from the cornfields and approaches the town's church where violent gangs of young boys hungrily await their chance to confront the legendary nightmare in annual harvest rite of life and death. Uh, the the main character is uh, lives in the shadow of his big brother who la- won last year's October prize to get his ticket out of town, and the kid whose uh, brother got to leave pairs up with a a girl in town to try to also escape this town by defeating Sawtooth Jack. It sounds like kind of folktale-y, but like contemporary. I don't know. That sounds that sounds fun. I didn't really heard anything about that. I'm into My it. My friend, you had me at Sawtooth Jack. <laughs> That's all you had to David say. David's back, baby. <laughs> big time. Big time. And uh, speaking of Salem's Lot, we got a little bit of details uh, about the movie, which we haven't had any of uh, recently. Uh, we know that it's set circa 1975, which is when the book was first published. The press release notes. Uh, the tale is synonymous with the 70s, as that's when the original adaptation was made as well. Another release date uh, change. Train to Busan remake, The Last Train to New York, was supposed to be coming out april 2023 which is now where salem's lot is going so warner brothers or i guess it's new line yeah well yeah warner's and new line are together so it's warner is temporarily undating new line cinema zombie movie last train in new york so there's just no date for that right now which that i don't know that doesn't bode particularly well (laughs) i would like it to be dated uh the new movie that movie is produced by james wan's atomic monster and we've talked about Train to Busan on the podcast when it came out in 2017 or something. Uh, in the original, a zombie virus breaks out in South Korea while passengers struggle to survive on the train from Seoul to Busan. Um, Gary Doberman's name is also on this for some reason. So we got to give a <laughs> for this one as well. <laughs> this one's also in the doghouse. Everything Oops. that the Doberman's doing is in the currently in the doghouse because he's not he's not the best <laughs> filmmaker. Uh, we'll find out more about that. So we teased Orphan First Kill stuff last week. We knew there were rumblings. The director was on Twitter tweeting stuff uh, cryptically about the movie. So now we have an official poster, a tagline, and confirmation that it's it exists and is happening. And Isabel Furman posted it on her Instagram story and did there's a bloody disgusting screenshot of it which is really fun to see like isabel Furman's instagram story where she's like trailer and reaction coming soon uh <laughs> hashtag orphan first kill you guys are gonna freak out the tagline is she will kill to be part of a family she will kill to be part of a family thank you i feel like she has 
Yes. Yeah, she's already done that. So, uh, well, she will do it again. Well, this one sounds prequely, right? First kill. Yeah, so, yeah, I guess yeah. did she do this already one time? You got to imagine yeah. she's just bopping from family to family. I don't want to ruin the twist of Orphan if no one's seen it. But if you haven't seen the Orphan from what is it, 2010, 12, yeah, 11, 2009, nine. nine. Okay. Yeah, I was definitely working at the theater still, so that checks out. 2009, the Orphan. I'm not your mommy, bitch, or whatever. What does she say? Is that right? <laughs> There's some like Vera Farmiga line that's wonderful uh, in that movie. Good, good picture. Good, I, I'm a fan. Sorry, I'm taking notes on cutting around my bullshit here. <laughs> <laughs> Doorbell, <laughs> fifteen. Okay. Okay. Did you hear about the nope? fictional theme park becoming a permanent attraction on the universal studio tour no so jupiter's claim which is the fictional theme park featured in jordan peele's upcoming sci-fi horror film nope which will be covered next week on the new flesh podcast that fictional theme park which has currently i i know like i think alamo draft house had like screenings of the movie that were there but it was just you know a temporary set I, I thought, but now it's taking up permanent residence as part of Universal Studio Tour. The new attraction, which will be featured at Universal Studios Hollywood, was created by production designer Ruth DeJong and carefully disassembled post-production after being reconstructed at Universal Studios Hollywood, complete with original props and other details from the movie. Fans can experience Jupiter's claim firsthand beginning July 21st, the same day the movie opens. The Jupiter's Claim opening is the first time in Universal Studio Tour history that an attraction has opened day and date with its movie release. So here's what Jordan Peele had to say about that. I remember visiting Universal Studios when I was 12 years old and being mesmerized. That experience reinforced my passion and drive to someday join in on the meta magic of backlot life. Since then, I've been fortunate enough to direct three movies for Universal. It is a privilege to honor these collaborations with my studio partners, crew, and cast, and be able to share Jupiter's claim with fans. Uh, I'm not going to read this description. Okay, yeah, no, this is not a description of the movie. It's a description of the park. <laughs> Set in South Southern California's Santa Clarita Valley and both owned and operated by former child star Ricky Jupe Park, played by Stephen Wynn. The fictional family fun theme park is based on the whitewashed history and aesthetics of the California gold rush. This is already too much. I don't want to know any of this. I don't want to know any of this. I got to stop reading. Um, the park is apparently, you know, a pivotal location in the movie. I'm not going to read anymore. I'm skimming to, to avoid spoilies because I haven't watched any trailers for this movie that I we reported last week is now rated R. Uh, the now permanent attractions edition of the tour was conceived long before its LA arrival with Jordan Peele and Monkey Paw working with Universal Creative on con concepting its integration to the studio tour early in production. It will join other iconic movie sets that are staged within Universal Studios' backlot, including Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds, The House from Hitchcock's Psycho, and Courthouse Square from Robert Zemeckis' Back to the Future. Um, I mean, those are a lot of iconic things to to, for Nope to have to live up to. Not to shit on Nope, which I haven't seen and I'm very excited for. But, uh, I mean, it, it's very yeah. cool. It's exciting that yeah, uh, they're cool. doing it concurrently with the movie that's ever happened before. Uh, what theme parks would you like to see of movies that came out recently? I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, like, were theme parks reproduced or just like a movie reproduced some aspect of it in a theme park? Because there aren't that many 
theme parks in movies, right? Like, I feel like... Yeah, no, they... you're right. That's a weird question because this movie appears to actually have a theme park in it. So... Or, like, at least some kind of an... an no, I'm, I'm changing the... Trend. I don't yeah. need any sort of element of a theme park in the movie. I just want to know, like... I you, think... Would you, want to, would you go to Army of Darkness land? I, of course. I, I mean, absolutely. I think, you know... You, I, <laughs> that actually is kind of the perfect I... one. Like yeah, th- just have all the puppets and animatronics have the battle scenes like play out before you because they really did stage all that shit. It's insane. Well, and, and uh, Universal, the Universal owns at least some of the rights for it, so they could they could do half of nights, it. Right? They could only have half of every each thing they want to yeah. do. <laughs> That's right. The Dino, the Dino De Laurentiis heirs come in and say, "Hey, give me the money! Give me the money!" You got to go to Dino um, Land across town yeah. <laughs> in Burbank. You're gonna pay the money to see the King Kong. Um, yeah, like I, I was just, I was naturally the theme park that everyone, everyone's mind this summer is Locust Land from Jurassic World Three. Oh my <laughs> Not god, the dinosaurs! Just yeah, the, locusts. the new Jurassic Park, which is all about it's just a bug exhibit. It's just locusts <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, I don't have any good riffs for that one, so I'm gonna move on. Sorry, I sorry I brought it up. I'm just kidding. Uh, Day shift. The trailer for a Netflix movie, so it barely registers as a movie, but I'll talk about it because it stars Jamie Fox and Snoop Dogg are quote cutting necks and cashing checks in Netflix's vampire movie Day Shift. It stars those two as well as Dave Franco, Megan Good. Uh, and that's all the only names I recognize. Uh, directed by J.J. Perry, written by Tyler Tice and Shay Hatton. It's produced by Chad Stileski. That's the guy. That's one of the John Wick, uh, Keanu stuntman guys. Um, yeah, Day Shift horror movie coming Netflix August twelve. We got confirmation this week that Prey will hold its world premiere on the big screen at the San Diego Comic Con. But if you listen to the New Flesh podcast, you knew that before it was announced because I have my ear to the ground and I hear things, <laughs> even if I'm not invited to things, I hear about shit. So uh, Prey will be in theaters at least. I don't know if you can count watching a movie at Comic-Con, seeing it in a theater, but you you watched Ghostbusters at a Comic-Con. I've never yes. seen anything at a Comic-Con. It's weird. It is weird because it like you are just like in a ballroom or whatever. It's not set up. You know, the sound is tinnier. It, you know, the screen was fine. It looked OK. It was just like it's a weird experience. And then add on to that the weird. I mean, like you want to see a movie with an enthusiastic audience generally. But I, I think I talked about in the Ghostbusters one. How I like felt like I was souring on the movie more fat and faster because of all the incessant applause and hooting and hollering over dumb shit. So, although Prey, you know, I'm a sucker for that stuff. So maybe I would be in with, you know, hooting and hollering with the rest of them. But it doesn't seem like the ideal. My one experience is that, it's, no, it's not ideal to watch a, a movie that way. You know, we, I watched the episode of Chucky that way. And it was fun just because, like, you know. It's a TV I, I show. Expect, Who cares? Yeah, it's a TV show. Like, I, you know, I'm going to watch that at home anyway. So getting to see it with a bunch of people is like this new experience. That's like a treat. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, but I do hope they screen. I hope that means they'll screen Prey for the press. Boy, the, do I hope so as well. Do you have a worse theater experience than watching Ghostbusters like that? I'll let you think on it while I'll tell you mine. Because (laughs) I saw a a movie that I now recognize as good. But at the time, I I, I could not get past the horrible screening experience. I saw Bobcat Goldthwaite's horror movie, The Willow Creek. The, Uh like, it's his Bigfoot movie that has, like, 
the big centerpiece is like this like really long take inside of a tent i think it's like a 20 minute scene or something it's a good really tense movie that if you watch in the right circumstances is really tense right but <laughs> i watched it in the back of a comic book store in la that doubles as a comedy venue that for some reason was playing it and not only that but i was sitting directly behind a pillar and i did not see <laughs> most of the screen and it looked and sounded horrible and i told people for years how bad that movie was with that and then i gave it a fair shot on dvd years later and was like oh this is actually good <laughs> so uh, uh just to goes to show like uh, 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 how you watch something can impact it oh for sure yeah, I mean, I was just, like, in terms of physical venue, probably one of the worst ones is that I saw a movie it screened at UCB, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty just, bad. It was not a very good. It's it's not a very good movie, but like, I would not recommend. I you know I have a lot of affection for the old UCB. This is oh, the theater's open anymore, but the one that was on like Twenty Sixth Street on the underground near the Gristini's. <laughs> that's right. And it's not where you you don't want to watch a movie there. It's just like it's not built. For, it's like a weird square setup. So if you're on the sides, it's not really. It's like watching it in the, in someone's neighboring cubicle or something. It's just not a very good. But, you know, uh, horror, just in a regular movie theater. This is also a horror movie, so I feel like it applies. Um, I saw The Grudge on opening night, like an idiot. Uh, the, the American remake of it. The American and remake, not the remake of the American remake. Correct, correct. I saw, also saw that on opening night, but that was you know, more of a... Yeah, we probably talked the, about the it here. <laughs> it, was, it was bad. Yeah. It was like a sad experience more than a really, but not only was the grudge 2004 American remake very bad to my recollection, the audience was, I think it probably wasn't the whole audience, but like the, you know, it was like a, it was, I saw it at the village seven on over on uh, third Avenue. And this one woman, I assume inebriated was sitting a few rows in front of us. And I think she thought she was gesturing to her friend or talking to her friend who was a few rows back or something. She she kept turning around, and being like, "Come on, give me give, give me my hot dog, go 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 get a hot dog for me, come on, my hot dog, <laughs> hot dog." And like, and people started instead of people being like, "Shut the fuck up," <laughs> they were like laughing. I mean, cause, like, I get it, it's because it was funny, but it was like, <laughs> "All right, but now this is annoying. Why isn't someone? Why isn't anyone else annoyed by this?" Uh, and then she sort of laughed along with them in this sort of like, yeah, it, it, it is funny that the person hasn't gotten me a hot dog yet. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all in the same boat on this. Uh, and it was just like, I mean, it, the, it, didn't, the, it didn't really hurt the movie because the movie sucks. But it is my my main memory of that movie. It's not anything that happens in it. It's the woman going, where's my hot dog? I don't have a Come specific like, line like that. But I remember <laughs> the last movie I, I like, even as a, what year did Disturbia come out? 2004? Do that three five I think later than that i want to say like six or seven but i could be wrong wow Maybe it's five. i'm gonna think i'm gonna say five which would make which would make it i was um 14 2007 2007 okay so i was 16 yeah. so it actually tracks perfectly with what i was saying like because i actually had like a rational thought because <laughs> so i was like <laughs> this is the last time i go see a movie at the mall uh because <laughs> it was i feel like in the past i would have enjoyed the experience of like a bunch of rowdy kids at a movie but we went and saw it on opening night at the mall probably like where a few years earlier i probably would have been one of the rowdy annoying kids and we saw it just wanting to watch the movie and couldn't like you couldn't you could not watch the movie in that environment it was for some reason (laughs) like 
every 13 to 16 year old was there and they were all having a great time. There was a social hour. Yeah. Everyone was there. (laughs) And that was the last time I went to that theater for sure. And I shortly after that got a job at the movie theater in in the town over. And that's where I saw everything for the, for the remainder of, of life in, uh, in Illinois. But that who cares? We're in the bits and pieces segment still. The last bit and piece here is that Dan Stevens of The Guest fame and Jessica Henwick of Bugs in Matrix Resurrections fame have joined uh, a horror movie called Cuckoo for Neon, which just actually wrapped shooting in Germany. It stars Hunter Schaefer from Euphoria as well. And Sophia Boutea is in it. I thought Jesse would like have an yes. ulcer at that. No, I just, yeah. I just like, I just froze. Yeah, he froze and he, was, <laughs> uh, he couldn't believe it. Much, like, is she? Is she? Is she the star? What's going on? Yeah, I've, she's like I, she's I, the last person mentioned, so I don't okay. know if Maybe she's it's the like star. Because I had heard about that movie and I had not heard about her being in it, so I'm like, I'm just stunned. I'm just that this erase that this escaped. My oh, this is um the per- the filmmaker who made Lose L U Z, that like really okay. experimental horror movie that's I think is on Shutter and I quite like it's like hard to recommend as like a movie because it's like kind of like impossible to parse but it's like a really impressive like series of scenes it's really cool experimental shit uh so cuckoo is tillman singer's second movie and uh neon is producing and financing it uh dan stevens is currently on the show gaslit apparently on stars and will also star in Warner Brothers and Legendaries upcoming Godzilla versus Kong sequel and Henwick as you mentioned Matrix 4 and she also is in another neon movie called The Royal Hotel coming soon opposite Julia Garner and she'll be in The Gray Man which is like the Russell Brothers a bajillion dollar movie that everyone says is the worst thing ever made that is coming out I don't know on Netflix at some point. And the last bit yes. in piece, unless Je- what do you have anything to add? No, no, I was just saying it's. Uh, I think it's out in movie theaters in New York on Thursday. Oh wow, lucky us! <laughs> Army of Darkness map is being added to Evil Dead the game. Uh, if listening to this podcast, the day it came out, it's already there. It came. It was added a few days ago for free to all players. So if you're an Evil Dead the game player, Army of Darkness map is there. You can experience Castle Candor. For the or the Kandarian demons were born or whatever. I have this game and I want to play it. So hit me up if you want to play Army of Darkness, Evil Dead shit. How relevant to my interests that this game just came out because we're doing this movie. <laughs> uh, Army of Darkness. We're talking about it. Uh, the first thing Jesse's going to want to say is that the movie is not from 1992 as every Thank single you. website. Thank you. Every single website and every single... I don't know where it's being listed this way, but like IMDb everywhere, everywhere has yeah. it listed as 92 is usually is usually the source from which all incorrect release dates. Yes. Uh, flow. People have yeah. it listed that way. I'm assuming because it, you know, it's screened at festivals and whatnot in late. Yes. In late 92. And, you know, it was actually yes. on a shelf for an entire year. It was like filmed in like what? 88, 89. Um, no, I don't think it was that late. Was it? I think it was like it was because I think it was filmed in like. 91 maybe something like that. i have all maybe the notes 90? we'll get into it at some point uh, we'll get we'll get to it we'll get to it we'll get to it but uh army of darkness is it came out in february 93 is that correct yes that's correct did you see it 
I did not. I was the perfect age for it, and I fucked up. Let me tell you the <laughs> movies from the spring of nineteen, early nineteen ninety three that I did see in the movie. This theaters. is like my favorite segment on the comedy bang bang uh, spinoff podcast that you have to have a paywall account to get. <laughs> called it's, it's called Scott hasn't seen. And Scott just talks about all the movies. The episode, you know, each one is on a movie he hasn't seen. And there's a segment where he talks about the movies he saw instead. And this <laughs> is that segment for us. So please, what did you okay, see instead of Army of Darkness? I mean, instead of Army of Darkness, I mean, uh, I did see on the, on the plus side, Groundhog Day. Masterpiece. Great movie. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, on the minus side, although it has its charms. Uh, Loaded Weapon 1. I believe that was the first movie I saw uh, in 1993. Maybe I saw something left over from 1992 in in January, but I think that was the first 1993 release I saw. That's a National Lampoon Um, movie. Yes, correct. Correct. kind of forgotten. Yes. Is it specifically Uh, a a spoof of Lethal Weapon? It is. It's like a spoof of cop movies. So like the framework it uses is Lethal Weapon. But like *Lethal Weapon's already a comedy, so like I love that. The, it's like it's like scary movie making fun of *Scream*. It's like oh cool, yeah. you yeah. parody to someone, you parody to parody. Yeah, finally someone taking the piss out of out of taking the <laughs> piss, of a, yeah, out of a movie that has jokes. Um, and then I don't really see any other movies in March, uh, February and March that I would have seen in theaters. Although I, I I was going more often around then, but I can tell you. Some movies that were around, released around time, same time as Army of Darkness that I saw on VHS, I think, before I saw Army of Darkness on VHS. Falling Down with Robert uh, Michael Douglas. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of yeah, horror adjacent. Like, he kills people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Summersby, starring Jodie Foster and Richard Gere. Well, that's not a real movie. Bill Pullman. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a romance. Wait, where Bill that Pullman movie made $140 million? <laughs> Wait, really? It made fifty in the U.S. Did it make it? One, did it make more in the? Maybe it did a well. It overseas? must have done well overseas because it made a hundred forty worldwide on a budget of thirty. Wow. Um, That's the Gear Foster magic. What the fuck is this? A ro- American romantic period drama, John a- yeah. Amiel, yeah, who directed yeah. like God. His last movie is The Core. <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, he also directed Entrapment, which has my favorite trailer of all time. Rule number one: How do I know you're not a cop? Um, not a rule. <laughs> Famously, not a rule. Probably have mentioned uh, it. Sorry, Summersby. What else did you see in '93? Uh, that's. I think that's it from from February. But then other VHS releases from early in '93 that I'm pretty sure I saw before I rented Army of Darkness. Mad Dog and Glory, another Bill Murray that is quite good. Uh, fi- I know I've never seen Fire in the Sky, but CB4. I remember renting that. Dude, <laughs> Chris Rock. I don't January. Think a lot of it. January sixth, '93 uh, has. One of my favorite VHS tapes as a kid was released. Do you know what I'm talking about? It was a, I want to say a theatrical sequel, but in my mind, it may be a straight-to-video sequel. I, I grew up with Leprechaun? it as a straight-to-video sequel. No, it's not a horror thing. It's a, oh, it's, okay. a it's a Disney thing. Oh, is it like Return of Jafar? No, that was it has really it has Return. weird horror roots if you know the full story behind the movie. But it is a children's movie that was released by, by from Disney that has several sequels straight to video and i think this one was in theaters but i'll check right now was it homeward bound no, no it's uh if i give you the cast it'll give it away so i don't want to say uh who directed the original the original movie was directed by joe johnston that that has to help 
Oh, yeah. Uh, it's Honey. Is it Honey? I blew up the kid. That's right. I love that <laughs> stupid fucking movie with the giant toddler running around like like Godzilla. <laughs> Little curly haired blonde boy running around like Godzilla. I definitely saw that in theaters. The previous so it summer, was a, it was a movie. It, it was a real yeah, movie. Yeah, it came out in this. It came out in the summer. It made much less money than the original. I also found the one another movie they opened just before February. But I did definitely see in theaters, and not many people did. And I did not see Army of Darkness in theaters. Matinee, uh, a Joe Dante film. Matinee uh, is a five-star fucking perfect movie that I only saw for the first time. It's a fantastic time, movie. Like last year. It's on yeah, one of the great. streamers. Uh, definitely watch and seek out Joe Dante's Matinee. It is it's so good. It is not only a love letter to like just going to the movies and like cinema and the communal experience of watching movies with other people, but specifically it's like a love letter to like schlocky horror and shit. It's yeah. So fucking good. No, I mean, it would have been a perfect, uh, double feature with, um, with army of darkness. If God, I mean, I you're right. Would have been in theaters for God. That was, that was living. Imagine going to a theater yeah. And, yeah. and just seeing those <laughs> just, two. Wow. Yeah. If matinee stuck around for three weeks, which it might not have, <laughs> It could have, you could have seen it double build with Army of Darkness. What's also crazy, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll actually talk about Army of Darkness momentarily. But released in the U.S. We don't have at least, to. I'm in no same, rush. Right? <laughs> let's just just talk about the. Let's talk about Strictly Ballroom. Um, no, the uh, released almost simultaneously with Army of Darkness are some very compatible movies. I think spiritually, Dead Alive, the Peter Jackson movie, still yep. one of my favorite movies. Early Peter Jackson very, horror movie, also known as Brain very Dead. Evil Dead. Yes. yes, very Evil Dead vibes, and El Mariachi was re- released around this time, which uh, Robert Rodriguez's um, famous uh, seven thousand dollar movie, which again I think we talked about last week because um, it it like the way that it, it was sequelized with Desperado was sort of like the way Evil Dead was sequelized with Evil Dead Two, so you could have seen a lot of real good movies if you you know those Dead Alive and Mariachi were both in only a few theaters uh, that month, but still good month for the cinema that in that february february, january february 93 surprisingly good strictly ballroom is another good one not not horror adjacent but good australian movie from our first from baz Luhrmann. just a, it's a it was a solid solid period 93 in general i remember being a good movie year that said i did not see army of darkness until much later i remember renting the vhs i think at my grandparents house i'm not even sure i knew right away that it was a sequel to evil dead or that i had seen i now like you know i think previous weeks i had said that i'm pretty sure i watched them in order and now i vaguely think that maybe i have seen army of darkness first (laughs) i'm not yeah no that would make sense i mean one of the things you learn when you watch that documentary and listen to commentaries and stuff is that universal tried really hard (laughs) to erase the fact that this was like part of a franchise weirdly they did not want anybody to recognize that this was an evil dead movie they wanted to sell it on its own which was so misguided because it would have done way better had they marketed it as evil dead 3 colon army of darkness as originally planned or calling it medieval dead any sort of tying of the connection (laughs) to the to the actual franchise to it the trailer famously sucks and is like or the not i don't know if it sucks but it does not let you know that it's an evil dead movie yeah well, and I think I, in, in retrospect, I have to imagine if I had seen Evil Dead t- 1 and 2 already, I would have been much more excited and eager to see 
the third one because I really liked the second one, especially. So I must because I remember vaguely having a sort of not an indifferent reaction, but like, oh, that was pretty fun. That was OK kind of reaction that must have only come from me seeing it first and without any context. I must have rented it again a couple years later after I did my evil watch the first two evil deads, after which point I liked it much more. Although I want to say I didn't really love it as much as I love it now until I saw it for like a, a third time in college. And then I was like, I really clicked with it with what it was doing. Yeah. Cause I think even after the evil deads gave me a greater appreciation for it, I think I was kind of like, Oh, well this isn't as gory and full of like crazy, you know, I mean, it's got crazy camera stuff in it, but like with quick and the dead, I was like, this isn't as crazy. No one gets propellered around <laughs> in this. Right. No one, there's, there's like not that much goop. There's you like know, barely uh, any goop and gore in this, yeah, except for the like one. Of, there's one geyser of blood. Yeah, one meager geyser of blood. So I think I was kind of like, you know, maybe when watching it after, even the second time after the Evil Dead, so I was like, ah, yeah, that was that was that was pretty good. But then in college, I really locked into what they're doing with it and sort of like both what the movies they're spoofing and also just like the Bruce Campbell performance like the Ray Harryhausen the, Jason and the Argonauts yeah, type of thing yeah and like just the bravado and the kind of silliness I don't think I necessarily as a 12 year old 13 year old however old I was uh got the like f- how funny it was I just I don't know I was I needed something a little more bashing me over the head a la loaded weapon one <laughs> at that age yeah well I and was I, literally two years old so I, I also <laughs> did not see it and was not ready for <laughs> this like, yeah. Bah? Bah? <laughs> yeah I was not interested I was more when like did you finally so you saw it when you were three or four then? yeah I don't remember right after I finished marathoning look who's talking and look who's talking to back to back to back to back to back to back <laughs> on hbo or whatever i feel like that's funny because look who's talking three uh uh, aka look who's talking now did also come out in 93 i was gonna say i knew it was right around then and look who's talking three is the one where they're like well uh wait look who's talking now is where like pets start talking yeah the dogs the dogs talk incredible what can you imagine what the pitch meetings were like for like the rejected premises for that and they landed on dogs like i don't know it's probably a very <laughs> silly meeting. But those movies were huge, right? That was uh, Kirstie Alley and um, it was Travolta. John Travolta. Yeah, it was Travolta. Yeah. Those movies, yeah. those have to be his biggest movies, like quietly. Maybe not quietly. Uh, I think I think the, if you did it for inflation, well, no, if you do it for inflation, it's Greece. Mm. But if you do it for inflation, look who's talking probably maybe even just in raw dollars but maybe is definitely if you do it for inflation look who's talking probably made more money. 297 million dollars is that inflation adjuster is that worldwide is that yeah is god that? uh wikipedia sucks yeah, that's world that's must be worldwide yeah and that's it's easily it's, it's easily like a, a top five travolta hit it's like probably a bigger hit than you know face off or whatever else bigger hit than pulp fiction uh, it was like one of his comebacks one of his many comebacks uh and then it was also like his downfall because the third look who's talking came out right right before pulp fiction brought his career to another new low <laughs> um, anyway no i don't know what we're talking about look who's talking many sequels in 1993 <laughs> i'm gonna talk about another stakeout next um but <laughs> yes so when did you actually get around to seeing army of dark did you watch them in order um that's a great question. I definitely saw Evil Dead 1 first because it was like my, one of my earliest horror memories of being scarred by that movie. So I definitely saw that first. And I saw Evil Dead. I, def, I think I did see them in order. I saw Evil Dead way early, right? Got me into horror, but also stayed away from seeing that movie and the sequel until I was older. 
I watched Evil Dead 2 probably in high school or yeah, definitely like early high school at my friend Keon's house where he owned it on Blu-ray or on DVD. And I remember watching it at his house and thinking it was incredible. And then I probably like rented it from the library or something. I probably rented Army of Darkness from the library or something and watched it by myself because I definitely don't have like the... Uh, I didn't have the love for this movie that I have now uh, when I was younger. Mm -hmm. I definitely scoffed at it from a horror fan perspective of like, well, this one's too silly and like doesn't like, I know two is very silly, but at least it has, it's also a full blown horror movie with insane makeup and gore and all that stuff. So like, yeah, evil dead two worked for me way more than this did. But now as a, like an adult, (laughs) I don't know if it's the the being an adult part because this movie is very silly and childish. But, like, there's something to this particular movie as maybe the best one in the franchise, if only because it's Sam Raimi, like, completely unchained, you know? Like, he yeah. is given a however much more this budget was than the other one. The budget was, like, $13 million, which was only supposed to be eight, I think, from Dino. And that's why they partnered with Universal to get some more. And then it became 11. And then from what all I hear... Sam Raimi and um, Bruce and other people ended up putting another million into it when it was like going over uh, in the reshoots and stuff. It was a hundred plus day shoot, uh, six weeks of nights. It's just like, um, I already appreciated this movie for like, it's all on screen. You can see that this movie is all done practically and like all the visual effects that are like, you know, what they're not digital i would say they're literally analog effects very old analog effects um they're like in camera stuff you know what i mean like the yeah. stop motion um whatever you call it the intravision basically like rear projection stuff where they're putting like the tiny ashes they're putting that you know ash fighting people over something else so it's like film on top of film and like it just like has this very you know, I don't know what it is, creative quality to it that you just really clock into and appreciate as a movie fan, I think. So, like, you watch the movie and all that comes to a head. Like, you see it on screen. You see the production value. You see that there's literally an army of animatronic skeletons that are all animatronics and puppets and people in very good, intense costumes all mixed together to look like an incredible battle sequence. And that's all in there. Um, And, like... It has all the hallmarks of Sam Raimi's filmmaking, but, you know, it's all, like, heightened to this degree because it's, like, this expensive, lavish medieval affair. And, like, I love that we get that montage where Ash gets to, like, teach them technology (laughs) with the books (laughs) in his trunk that include Chemistry 101 and, like, steam steam operation and and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Steam plan operation, I believe is what it says. (laughs) Yeah, it, it does. It does have a kind of it's it's has the handmade quality of the first two Evil Deads. But like, yeah, as you say, and as they say on the commentary, it's much it's on a much larger scale. And it really kind of feels like, oh, they created this whole little medieval world. And it does feel very tactile and believable in its weird way, even though like they talk around the commentary about how like elaborately all this stuff was faked and some of this stuff was shot in a garage. And like obviously some of it was like shot. On yeah. Real sets when you stuff. hear how troubled this production was and and how Universal butchered it or whatever and how they had to reshoot stuff all the time and yeah, shooting stuff in garages and recreating sets that, you know, were destroyed earlier and had like the S-Mart thing at the end they had to reshoot. It's a, it's one of those things where like it's amazing this movie came through as like a five star masterpiece to me. 
because <laughs> all the signs point to it shouldn't work because it was thrown together in such a way. But that's like the beauty of Sam Raimi's uh, talent and like genius is that this movie was storyboarded before they shot a frame of it, like the, every single shot to the point where when he hired Bill Pope to BP, uh, to DP it, he was like, you know, I'm going to tell you where to put the camera. I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you where to put this. And Bill had to just be like, yeah, of course. Like, you're the director, of course. And that's why they got along. But this was such like a, this movie is such a genius's vision of a movie. And even if you don't appreciate like the slapstick goofiness of it, you have to appreciate the sheer ingenuity of the, the makeup effects and the makeup effects combined with the, I keep, I keep wanting to say digital effects, but they're not. <laughs> the analog camera effects that they also do, like camera tricks and all the Raimi-isms that make yeah. this movie like so unique and special. And it kind of is like the last of an era, too, where right after this, how many years later was it? Where like, uh, uh, what's the big... Uh, Jurassic Park came out like a year later. Jurassic Park came out. It came, Jurassic Park, I'll, I'll do you one better. It came out four months after this movie. Jurassic Park came out four <laughs> months after this movie and like... The I you know changed the idea of what digital effect or what effects in movies are. Yes, that movie are practical effects, but it was a huge leap into digital as well, and that's yeah. kind of what stuck. It was, yeah, it really is. It does kind of retro, retro retroactively feel like a cap on a lot of things, um, both micro in like terms we of can like say, yeah, we'll is... never make this movie today. But good lord, they would never make. No one would ever make this no, movie at this, this not this way. I know. No. I mean, I guess it didn't cost that much, relatively speaking, but it did. At you know, for them, it did. Yeah, and it's kind of like this, you know, end point or sort of transition point of Sam Raimi's career. It's right before, I mean, he does do Quick and the Dead after this, which is much more his sensibility than uh, the, the trio of studio movies he did after Quick and the Dead. But this is like, you know, he had a success at Dark Man, with Darkman, his first like non-Evil Dead success, and then came back around to do the Evil Dead 3 that he wanted to do. And then that's sort of, you know, that's it for, I mean, they did that. Which he only, he only came back around to Evil Dead 3 because the experience he had with the studio fucking him on Darkman, which like, again, yeah. Darkman turned out, I think, great and people love it. Yeah. I but love he, that, had love a huge, movie, yeah. he had huge issues with the studio on that and they fought him every thing, every step of the way, tooth and nail. Yeah. It's so funny that they have like, he got them, got Universal at least partially on board for this Evil Dead sequel that they didn't, didn't seem like they actually wanted to make. And it is, well, yeah, you know, yeah the thing is, they did, but then also the caveat is they extremely had Final Cut, and he did not, uh-huh. and that came yeah. to screw him over. But again, uh, it might be controversial to say among fans of this movie, I don't know, but this might be one of those cases where like studio notes are not wrong. Like the eighty, <laughs> the eighty-one minute version of this movie is undeniably better than the ninety-six minute director's cut yeah. to me. But also, yes. I do want to see all those battle scenes and stuff. But like maybe just like you know, leave them cut out and put them on the DVD and I would like to watch them. But like, there's something about, I think Bruce Campbell jokes about this on the commentary and on the documentary where like, so it was so arbitrary trying to fight the MPAA on this or not, no, excuse yeah. me, not the MPAA when they were fighting Dino De Laurentiis in the editor's room when he was trying to cut it down and they were like, well, we can't cut this down. We you know, we shot this incredible battle scene. Like, okay, well how about we have four exploding skeletons instead of eight, you know, like it's very arbitrary to be like, no, we need all eight. Uh, so they're like, it's not, yeah. it's not story driven. The stuff that is, is missing or the stuff that they take no, out, it, but it all adds to the cumulative effect of this movie is like a visual effect, practical effect, puppet, animatronic masterpiece. And you know, the truncated version, you lose a lot of what they spent 
a lot of money doing. Yeah, it's interesting even hearing them talk about it because the commentary on the Shout Factory version is on the director's cut. So I was watching that, which I had not really seen in full before. Um, I had seen the ending. I had seen some deleted scenes that they incorporate back in, but I had not seen the the full director's cut. And I guess I still haven't really because I was watching it with commentary. But they talk. They even I they, you know they basically sound like they prefer the director's cut. And that's why it's a director's cut. But they also kind of sound ambivalent about yeah, certain things. Yeah, they've definitely Certainly. come around to like no. I feel like when they're you know you're young and youthful and you're making something and you're like fuck this fuck the man. I'm making my movie yeah. the way I want. And now they're like you know with time and. And, you know, with, of course, with time, but also with their experience in the industry and like knowing how to tell stories and stuff. I think they both kind of you can kind of read between the lines. They're like, yeah, the theatrical version's good, too. Don't worry. Like, yeah, they don't yeah. say like they it's, butchered it. Like you'd think they, they even sort of well, they they, t- they they kind of complain a little bit about certain things being taken out. And they definitely highlight some cool shots and sequences, not even sequences, but like moments or longer sequences that they that they liked and kept got to put back in. But then they talk about how like, well, that necessitating necessitates using a different line for one take where the other line that's in the in the theatrical is better. Um, and <laughs> Campbell sort of especially does both where he kind of jokes about the movie being boring because it's longer. Um, and then also talks about how he thinks you can kind of, uh, I think it's just him and not Raimi who says that, you know, oh, the, the kind of progression of the battle sequence makes more sense. There's a little more like give and take. And oh yeah. To it. Yeah. If you're like, yeah. Oh, absolutely. So they, they definitely say a lot of people online when writing about it, make it sound like the theatrical version is completely incomprehensible the way it's like edited together because of those things being excised. And I would argue the movie completely works and no one's confused about anything that's happening in it in the theatrical no, cut no, at all. It, but it does no. provide, oh, that's where this Henry guy was. And that's where, you know, that's how this happened. So like yeah. the battle sequence is definitely like more of a sequence in terms of like everything is staged in that way, like in a well-thought manner. And and they definitely, you know, just cut it to ribbons to make it shorter, which is fine because it's still cutting, you know, cutting something that looks amazing down to 25% of it. It's still amazing. Well, he, uh, they even, they even sound conflicted there, the filmmakers, because they'll talk about how it plays better, you know, sort of like works better as a battle sequence. Although even what I think there was Sam or Ivan kind of makes a joke, even when, when Campbell's saying, oh, it, uh takes you through it better and they were like yeah and it puts the audience to sleep or whatever but they also talk about like how they Raimi sort of very casually drops that he thinks the second half of the movie because it has less of ash oh being yeah moved, i have basically. that whole i have that whole quote but go on yeah he like says basically that it, it doesn't work as well and some of that is just because it's like kind of you know he said it kind of he kind of implies the movie sort of gets away from that because it gets so involved in these cool Harryhausen-esque battle sequences that don't really showcase Ash's character or what, whatever. Which is funny because, like, the whole reason for the director's cut, the whole bulk of the director's cut, like, there's other additions that go back in. But, like, yeah, time-wise, most of what's back in is in that battle sequence that he's sort of saying is... And it only serves to take it further away from what he's talking about with Ash, you know? Like, it's it's even less Ash-focused because it's... Like, yeah. so if you wanted something that was more kind of balanced toward the Ash character, yeah, you probably want to go with the theatrical cut, which doesn't have a lot as much, you know... Uh, skeletons getting and I mean, blown up and stuff like that. It's hard to complain about an eighty-minute movie. Also, it's like there's there's yeah, no yeah. fat to it. It's like perfect. Like I, yeah, I yeah. I'm all, I hate to be the guy standing for the studio like a fucking asshole. One of those like <laughs> weird guys on Twitter who has like a YouTube show about movies and they're always like, 
this indie did fucking so bad and minions is crushing yeah. and we love it like yeah. Yeah. bow down fuck you, illumination fuck you mr yeah. mr malcolm's list yeah this, this is gonna lose screens like crazy yeah uh, yeah those guys it was so dumb that they released it yeah they like john kempier or whatever guys uh but uh, <laughs> i will stop naming names um but like the yeah exactly but at the same time like i think some of it also has to do you know we saw this when we were younger and maybe maybe would we would have had some more attachment to the the director's version if we saw that first yeah for sure but like it's hard to, it's hard to discount it just slows down a couple times pretty hard that ending like if you really if you're a 13 year old boy in 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 life or in heart like the ending where ash comes back to Esmart and is like killing demons and going hail to the king baby uh like yeah it's i know it's, it's i can see the that the filmmakers might blanch a little at that because they clearly regard ash as a boob and there's more poetic justice in the director's cut ending and it is like a perfect you know but Esca- what and it's happens a, yeah, in the movie. escalation of the, a bit also of like yeah, ending yeah, how yeah, evil yeah. dead two ends yeah 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 um but if you're just like for the sheer pleasure of watching a movie and especially if you don't aren't necessarily that invested in like evil dead as an ongoing thing which i don't i think most of us watching the army of darkness we're not in any way expecting to be served in evil dead 4 anytime soon despite the fans who seemed like to really always expect that that might happen um so if you're not expecting like that then that the the ending at smart which is i you know in retrospect you can look at and go oh yeah this is so obviously constructed as a crowd pleaser that just leans into ash's dumbest dumbness yeah ash gets gets the girl and kills some dead eyes vindicated yeah 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 it's like it you could almost say that it like if you didn't see that version first you would be like that's that's fan fiction it's complete bullshit yeah right that's what some fan would do on his on his youtube channel 10 years later how it should have ended you know yeah (laughs) like i spent i raised eight million dollars and reshot the ending of (laughs) army of darkness (laughs) that's right at at the same time i can't deny that as a teenager like obviously having a crazy button on the movie that's like set in a in a kmart style store with like a a trampoline and ash you know shooting stuff in midair and going hail of the king and like Like, that sequence love it that sequence is why it is famously in in japan retitled captain supermarket (laughs) and it has a really awesome poster so we would have lost that had that not been the original ending so thank you yeah it is i mean i think that also kind of comes back to something i was talking about with we were talking about with evil dead one and two and that the kind of iterative iterative nature of these movies where it's like not strict continuity at all like well yeah the army of darkness does another recap up top yeah, yeah, and Bridget and Fonda's like, in it as Linda for no yeah, reason yeah. other than she's a huge fan and wanted to do it. Yeah, and I, I wonder if she wonder if he knew her through Danny Elfman because I think they're they were probably yeah, together at this point. Probably right. Um, um, and yeah, you get it. Yeah, Bruce Campbell sort of goofs about this on the commentary. He's like, "Yeah, well, you know, we we figured might as well go three for three on Lindas in the in the three movies." <laughs> and the the but the, sort of the way that that. that happens in the in these sequels where it's not really tightly they're not talking about tight storytelling well yeah and also evil dead saga i love that evil dead 2 ends with its own button joke of like yes ash is like the movie again army of darkness continues with the ending of evil dead 2 but it conveniently leaves out the whole idea that ash slayed a deadite and everyone loves him you know what i mean right, like they, right, they let right, that exactly. be like the plot of the movie like getting to that point instead so yeah we yes yeah. yes ash and his car got sucked back into the 1300 a.d 
but it's did not happen the way it does in Evil Dead 2. Right. And that I think that's part of why I'm able to so enjoy the theatrical cut and also appreciate the director's cut. I mean, which is the case of uh, of other movies that have those two those variations. But I think I'm especially able to uh, to enjoy those differences, like to enjoy both endings, because the kind of nature of Evil Dead is not to say, oh, no, this is what really happened, like, or this is the real continuity. And I, I guess I'm to understand that Ash versus Evil Dead sort of does both in a weird way, which is interesting. Like, I mean, it, it obviously it ticks up from the end of Army of Darkness theatrical, but I think it sort of works in the the other ending eventually or sort of like brings it back around in a way. And I think that's sort of, and I don't, I haven't seen it, so I don't know how, but like there's some kind of, it's not, that thing is not, that idea is not dropped completely. Yes. And I like the idea that this is like something where, yeah, this isn't a fucking saga. This is like, you listen to these things, the commentaries and stuff and you don't hear sam raimi really talking about like what the movie means to him he talks about like he talks about they made he talks about having fun torturing bruce like that's yeah (laughs) so much of the commentaries and and documentaries are spent each one for each movie laboriously saying like yeah well sam makes these movies just to torture bruce and then they have like montages of him being like uh uh, bruce uh, squawk like a chicken bruce and uh we'll do it (laughs) like anything whole anything Anything Sam says, Bruce will do, which is why they have such a special relationship and why, like, you know, it's a very unique, friend, friendly, but, like, antagonizing thing that yeah. has, you know, that has given us Bruce Campbell as uh, a leading man. And, like, there's no... I can't think of any other actor like Bruce Campbell who has this type of physically demanding, slapsticky hero in a horror movie role. Like, there aren't, there aren't characters like Ash in movies and i don't know i just have such a love for the character in the movie i, I don't know what we were talking yeah. about that we got here um oh you know, yeah it's it's kind of the you know it's such a showcase for him in a yeah. weird way it's like and that's i think also why i don't mind seeing giving him like a kind of cheesy hero yeah. moment at the end of the theatrical i mean it's like let bruce have it <laughs> he would put on makeup for four hours right and then film for 16 and then spend two taking it off and then doing it all yeah. again and like every yeah. day for him was something like it was like, OK, I'm not just Ash today. I'm evil Ash. OK, I'm not just Ash today. I'm 14 tiny ashes. OK, I'm not just Ash today. I'm um, the half formed Ash that's halfway through transformation. And also, I'm not Ash today. I'm one of the three different distinct faces we made that are stretchy and long and different <laughs> that are practical and that he also has to put on his face. Uh, that takes a lot of time. It's just when you actually sit down and look at every shot of this movie and how like, Oh yeah, there's an effect shot in like 90, 70% of shots in this movie. So like the, the sheer, the work that went into all of this for, from, you know, everyone involved, including Sam and Bruce, but like the crew and stuff, it's all just fucking nuts. And I think what you said earlier I want to get back to because it's so key. I thought I was also taken aback by Sam being like, this is where we went wrong. <laughs> Talking about army of darkness battle scene. When I'm like, this is like <laughs> the, the apex of your career. What are you talking about? This is amazing. <laughs> um, but he said, yeah, Ivan and I talked, first of all, Ivan is so not present on the track. It's so funny when he chimes in, you're like, Oh yeah, Ivan's here. <laughs> um, he rolls, he literally rolls in halfway through yeah. from a shift at the hospital. That's right. Cause I guess he's a doctor. That's so fucking funny. I forgot about that. Um, it's almost as good as when Trey Parker and Matt Stone leave the cannibal, the Holocaust commentary in the middle to go to a strip club. It's almost as good as that. Um, <laughs> Ivan and I talked about where we went wrong and we agreed 
because after this point of the battle scene, we lost the character of Ash being a coward and being um, being himself and being a blowhard and a braggart and a liar. And those battle scenes are empty. And then Bruce chimes in. This is something he talked about way more in the documentary is that as Bruce describes it, he had to talk Sam Raimi out of having scenes where um, Ash does even more like irredeemably horrible things that make fun of him. So including there's a scene that was cut where Ash takes a bunch of children outside <laughs> of a castle and sacrifices them all to the deadites, just like closes the door and goes back inside. And I thought he offered, I thought they said he offered. Yeah. 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 And sort of, get, and sort of gets behind them. <laughs> yeah. kind of, I was picturing uh, Ichabod Crane in Sleepy Hollow where he sort of is always jumping behind a, a woman or a child. Yes. You're right. Scared. Yes. He offers <laughs> them to the deadites. And there's another scene where, they're looking for Ash to be like, you know, a hero in the heroic moment. And they find him cowering in a closet, crying, being like, I'm so scared for the first time ever or whatever. And so, like, they had to constantly stop Sam from doing that and kind of, you know, let him be a more traditional, competent hero because that's what's more better for the movie. You know what I mean? I just think uh. it's so funny that. This, these whole, all these movies are to Sam. It's just like, yeah, I'm putting my buddy through the ringer. That's it. I'm doing crazy shit with the cameras, and I'm throwing sticks and potatoes at my friend, and we're filming it, and that's what the movie's going to be. And um, I, I love that he thinks the movie's bad once Ash starts being a hero. I think that's hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's, what's interesting about it, too, is like, it's not really clear from that commentary whether or not he was trying to do, I don't mean to sound all annoying about this, like a character arc. Like if he wanted, yeah. was, it was his idea that Ash gets worse and worse and then redeems himself or that he just wanted to have a movie where Ash is just like sucks and then sucks more. Well, <laughs> like, yeah. Well, Bruce put it into perspective for me that I never really considered this. Like he said during a battle scene, I'm sure you clocked this too. He goes, you know, it just, it always occurs to me here, none of this. And he means this, this huge battle and people dying would be happening. None of this would be happening if Ash had just said those words correctly at the beginning of the movie when he was yeah, doing yeah. the incantation or whatever. Yes, he's being courageous and leading these people into battle and he gets his big heroic arc or whatever, but those people would not be here right now if he just said the words right. And like that is kind of the thesis of these movies if you get if you, if you ask Sam Raimi, like those that's what it is. Like Ash is a bumbling idiot and like that's who I want to see in movies. Like I don't want to see a Navy SEAL. I think that's what he said at one point. Um, you know, I don't want to see a Navy SEAL. I want to see a guy who works at S Smart and has no skills and is cocky. Like that's who I want to see in my movies. And yeah. you know, not everyone agrees with that. The studio certainly doesn't. They have to. You know, <laughs> they, this is the only movie uh, Bruce Campbell ever starred in for a studio. Yeah. <laughs> I after being like, I feel like he's always their choice. And the studio is like, no, <laughs> maybe it only happened like once or twice. Yeah, but... no, he definitely. Well, at least for Sam Raimi, he's always the choice. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he, I, there's so a version, you was, know, I... there's a version where he got Darkman, you know. Oh, oh yeah, I know. I was wondering if they were, if they ever floated him for Darkman. He is, he's like, he's the final shemp at the end with uh, <laughs> when he take when he is in his disguise. That's um, right. Yeah, and it's it's like such a yeah. Campbell's really terrific in it, and it, it, it's it's. Yeah, they did. The Universal me, did like, reject him to uh, Bruce Campbell on Darkman. By the way, that was a, that was <laughs> of, of course. course the original casting. Yeah, 
Yeah. I remember when I was a, a teenager, this doesn't make, now that I know more of the character, it makes no sense. But when Sam Raimi was starting Spider-Man, I was like, is there a way Bruce Campbell could be Spider-Man? And I was like, <laughs> I was like he's like 40 years yeah, old. Yeah, no, I would love, you know, I'm sure that was his first crack at it, was that yeah. the 40-year-old <laughs> Spider-Man version. Yeah, yeah. He could play the version from Spider-Verse that uh, Jake Johnson plays. Um, yeah, I mean, like, the that's why it's it's a little goofy to me that Raimi seems so stuck on like wanting uh ash to be this like utter buffoon because in the other movies he's not really like, i know they really uh, go hard on that like here and i think that's because you know evil dead 2 is when scott spiegel his childhood friend who's a huge three stooges fan as well as Raimi, who Raimi is as well but like those two sensibilities together means that evil dead 2 became this <laughs> three stoogian comedy right and then that sensibility you know they just blew it up even more and did it again <laughs> on i feel like yeah. this one's even more slapstick like there's that whole three stooges routine with all the skeleton hands in his face that lasts like a full 90 seconds it feels like yeah <laughs> it's terrific let me talk a little bit about the project's conception before we uh, get into anything else that I want to talk about. So back during the original production on The Evil Dead, Irvin Shapiro had suggested Evil Dead 2, and Sam worked on the concept and settled on the idea of a large-scale medieval epic set in 1300 AD with deadites, a castle, and ash traveling in, in time. He wrote that story and then worked with Sheldon Ledich to produce a screenplay. Irvin really liked the idea and, and took out those ads I talked about in the trades announcing Evil Dead 2, colon, Evil Dead and the Army of Darkness in 1983. So the script was put to the one side and then resurrected a few years later and made as Evil Dead 2, although the reduced budget meant that the film had to be scaled back, so they went back to the cabin uh, and the medieval setting was only shown at the end. In 1988, while Universal was dragging its heels prior to greenlighting Darkman, Renaissance Pictures made a deal with Dino De Laurentiis to make a sequel to Evil Dead 2. The original script for Evil Dead 2 was dusted off to be adapted into a third film using its partial medieval setting. Scott Spiegel, Bruce Campbell, and Sam Raimi all worked on the script at various points, but the entire thing was put on the back burner once Darkman got the go-ahead. Following Darkman's release, the deal still stood, and Army of Darkness was back on the table. This was somewhat of a step back for Renaissance, as the budget was lower than that of Darkman's $16 million, but this was viewed as a trade-off. As much like their experience on Evil Dead 2, Dino didn't interfere with Sam, Bruce, and Rob, giving them creative control over the movie, something which was distinctly lacking from Darkman. Sam and Ivan Raimi began rewrites in the original script over about eight months, working together at Sam's house in LA or in Ohio, where Ivan worked in an ER at the time. There were multiple script drafts, some back at the cabin, while others set entirely in 1300 AD, they were drawn by the concept of technology versus supernatural, putting forward the notion that technology can defeat the supernatural, which was a juxtaposition to the common theme of supernatural defeating modern tech in films such as the Star Wars trilogy. Uh, in order to appeal to a wider audience uh, than its predecessors, Army of Darkness was guided more to the adventure and fantasy vein than horror, playing to comedic rather than horrific effect with virtually no gore. As I continued to work on the script in the pre-production period, it became clear that Dino's proposed budget of $8 million was going to be too small. At the time, Dino had an ongoing multi-picture deal with Universal, so he put Army of Darkness in that deal, and then 50-50 co-financed it, and they increased the budget to $11 million, with Dino's primarily foreign investors and Universal's primarily domestic investors, although the final budget was actually around $13 million. Uh, knowing what it was worth, Renaissance negotiated to retain England as a territory while having the option to sell the rights back to Dino 
if they needed the extra funds. In the end, Sam, Bruce, and Rob put around $1 million of their own money between them back into the movie to fund some extra elements that Dino deemed unnecessary. Uh, they talked about casting M. Beth Davids from Schindler's List, but as famously to me, Miss Honey in, in Matilda. Uh Dino did not like her because she wasn't like some huge-breasted bimbo, and they talked about having to fight him on that. Uh, Bill Mosley, who plays Chop Top in one of my favorite movies, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, wrote a letter to Sam Raimi saying he was a huge fan and would love to work with him. So he plays one of the uh, Deadite like captains in the in the uh, battle sequence. Uh, Sam's popularity was attested to when many of the Darkman crew were rehired to work on Army of Darkness, but given the reduced budget, took a pay cut to do it and still, you know, performed excellently. A lot of talk on the documentary. They don't sugarcoat how hard of a production it was and how grueling the hours were and how no one should have been doing those hours and stuff like that. It was really tough. Uh, Film mostly in California. Principal photography began around early summer of 91, continued for 55 days. Uh... And then they took a break, I believe. They shot till the end of July uh, 91. They took a break in November, I think, and came back. They basically, principal photography took a total of 111 days from start to finish and was completed in 1991 in autumn. And then this is crazy thing happened. Uh, did you know about the, the Silence of the Lambs uh, Manhunter Dino stuff? Oh, I, I know that there was like there were problems getting the rights back from him or something yeah, like so that. Yeah, so Army of Darkness was like a casualty along with Cuffs, which is what, a Christian Slater movie? Yeah, Christian Slater. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So Cuffs and Army of Darkness, I guess were the two co-productions of the Dino and Universal at the time, they both sat on a shelf for like a year or so because Dino De Laurentiis was suing Universal and trying to stop them from releasing Silence of the Lambs since Dino had just made Manhunter. And didn't think they should be able to make a, you know, should be allowed to make a movie with Hannibal Lecter in it. Um, so that is a, definitely a factor that leads this movie sitting on a shelf for a while. But then when they do get it going, they still just cut it to shit and test screen it. And the test screeners thought that the ending, you know, of Ash waking up in the future was sad. They didn't think it was <laughs> funny. They thought it was sad. So that note is why they got that happy ending that we talked about it works when you're younger and you know, it still works, but it's just definitely a studio mandated happy ending. Um, the original ending, uh, we already mentioned, but the original ending in which Ash wakes up in the future after overdosing on the poison. Again, Ash was told to what, take six drops of poison or whatever. And he can't even count that correctly. So it's another, it's another final indignity or final joke of Ash just being a boob. Um, but that, ending was supposed to lead into a fourth movie in which ash leads an army of robots to fight the deadites but of course that ending was too sad so they nixed it and then inherently doomed that awesome idea don't you think don't you hope that that happens in our lifetime that we get sam raimi like a decently budgeted army of darkness 2 evil dead 4 whatever you call it that is just this premise of ash old old man ash yeah old man ash versus with robots fighting the deadites I don't know. It's great. I would also take Freddy versus Jason versus Ash. I think that would be fun too, which is also, <laughs> that was also a thing almost. Um, but the, another thing I found interesting about this movie is uh, the MPAA we talked about on Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. 
both those movies circumvented the the ratings board. So this one, when like you know it's a studio movie, they had to submit it and get it rated. This movie, this movie, Army of Darkness, got an NC seventeen on the first submission, and that is of course absolutely indefensible and hilarious, especially considering this movie was specifically shot and toned down to get what they expected would be a PG-13 rating. And they were like, what do we have to cut? And they said, no, there's nothing. It's cumulative. There's nothing you can cut. (laughs) So they were truly just fucking with them. And obviously you can only describe this as an act of petty revenge, right? Like they just were acting out because evil dead and evil dead two did not get rated. So evil dead three, we're going to give them an NC 17. Hilarious to think this movie almost got an NC-17, and then the Evil Dead remake, which is the bloodiest thing I've ever seen in my life, sailed with an R, no problem. Bruce makes that point. Well, yeah, it, yeah. it was so it's so it's so often reputation based, you know, like the way Disney for a long time. You can see this with like the on the other end of the ratings. Disney for a long time wanted their movies to be G, so kind of whatever happened to them if the car if there was a Disney cartoon, it was a G. And then after a while, they wanted them to mostly be PG. You know, G was like not is not desirable. So now they all get PGs pretty much just because that's what Disney wants. It's not because the content's any different. They're just like, yeah, well, you know, they want PG now. So it's this weird kind of they're kind of, you know, in bed with the studios and sort of and then also antagonistic to anyone. You're like, well, these other two got an NC-17. This one gets an NC-17, too. Like it's it's so it's so I mean, it's that point's been made by so many people, but it's so idiotic how how much it's based on habit and not actual content. Yeah, it's total horseshit. And I'm, I don't know, they basically just resubmitted it a few times and eventually, you know, agreed to the R because they were trying for PG-13, <laughs> but they didn't work out. I really love, uh, I don't know, I think it was Bruce who repeatedly mentioned like, you know, this is a cast of very serious English actors who do Shakespeare and we're making them do the silliest things. And he got a really <laughs> got a kick out of that. And they're casting their childhood friends again. I feel like the, there's this big bulky guy who's the blacksmith, who's just a friend of Sam Raimi's, who is really buff. And he's like, yeah, I'll cast you. And that's how he got his SAG card. Um, I like this quote from Bruce as well. Or maybe it was Sam. First Evil Dead, we were trying to just make a movie. The second one, we were tired of the melodrama. Uh, he got Scott Spiegel, a huge Three Stooges fan, and so was Sam. So you combine those two guys, and you're getting eyes poked, slapstick. And Army of Darkness takes all of that to the next level. I believe it was Howard Berger, one of the makeup effects guys, who says, I wish I was you know, working a union job on Army of Darkness. The hours were so hideous, I'd be a multimillionaire. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> they made $800 a week. But they all loved it. And like you can see in the work, it's so fucking cool. One of the coolest details I already mentioned, I think it was called Intravision. The they had like back projection backgrounds that they had to build sets for certain shots. So like some shots are fake backgrounds, but they built so many sets. Like the graveyard with the exploding gravestones is real and stuff like that. Uh, there's a lot of miniature work in this as well. Um, but the image on top of the image, like when mini ashes are on top of them, it looks grainy. But there's like a charm to it that you don't get with modern green screen. And that's, yeah. you know, this whole movie could be described as like, it's a low budget charm. And even though it's costly, it's still low budget charm. Um, they just don't make movies at this scale um, practically anymore. And and probably for good reason, right? Because look how fucking hard it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, it's it's rare. Like, we talked about a bit about horror comedies last time. And... I do feel like if you're making something that's trying to combine like sort of horror fantasy and uh, stuff like that and humor, you 
there's a tendency to want to either make it sort of more of a blatant horror comedy where there's gore and stuff, but it's pretty yuck yuck or make it really or even more comedic and say, oh, this is a sp- an outright spoof. Like the, I feel like the closest thing we've come to this, this is now a while ago, too. And I was just thinking about this because I'm writing about Natalie Portman this week. Uh, the closest thing we've had to this movie, I feel like, in the past couple decades is like Your Highness, the uh, yeah. David Gordon Green, uh, which is much spoofier. But it does actually, if you watch that movie, it's kind of spoofy because the, there's colloquialisms and everything. But like it kind of takes itself seriously as a fantasy movie. It's just a really silly fantasy movie. Yeah. Like that's, you know, that's what they that, the, that's what they want to do is sort of pay homage while also being funny. And that movie was a huge flop as well. <laughs> like it's it's a uh, it's hard to do, and it's it's not uh, that kind that kind of tone of like tongue in cheek, and there's laugh lines and there's slapstick, but it's not a spoof, and it's not like winking at itself about how stupid it is. It's like tongue in cheek in a more subtle way, <laughs> if you could say subtle applies to this movie. Yeah, uh, it's just not a popular thing to do because it doesn't often do well, and it becomes a cult thing later, and it doesn't get anyone any money in the moment. So it really is like a pretty special movie in that it, this is just not something. Even you know there are directors who do like we're talking about Robert Rodriguez having a movie contemporaneously like this, or or Joe Dante have a movie contemporaneously with this. They there are directors who like that tone of like sort of spoofy and funny, but also like you know not an all an all all out satire and rodriguez makes his own stuff so it he gets work but like joe dante you know has not had consistent studio filmmaking jobs in years and this isn't exactly joe dante in tone but it's in that realm right it's like in the joe dante robert rodriguez like <laughs> your highness like zone of like if you really love movies you'll like the kind of humor and and like production of this and it's not necessarily going to be wildly popular when it when it actually comes out. So I get why they don't make movies like this. And it, maybe that makes this even more special that it's just like it's hard to come across something that's has such persistence of vision. Yeah, I mean, they, it, you it, can it, watch yeah. them build trenches and people are they build trenches so that people could stand under and hold the puppets during the battle scenes. And like it looks so cool on film when there's just a bunch of skeletons fighting and there's so many different like types of puppets, animatronics mixed with people that it all just looks it genuinely looks staggeringly good even though it you know cost of not that much money relatively speaking um it's just goes to show you know talented directors matter and uh all that stuff love that danny elfman popped by to do the operatic score for the battle scene it rules and also the joe deluca uh score who did the score for the others is back and you know the score is completely different from the scores for the other movies this one's like you know flutes and battle hymns or whatever you want to say i mean obviously one of the most iconic images of a skeleton playing a bone flute or whatever it is (laughs) it's rare that you see that in live action no yeah yeah, this movie Uh, just i mean the whole thing you watch it you're like this is a movie that was in theaters with a universal logo on the front of it like it's a movie with (laughs) it's an r-rated adult comedy with puppet skeletons doing battle taken completely yeah. earnestly but i mean taken earnestly but also that's the joke right like it's earn- i don't know it's hard to say yeah. earnest versus comedy when you're talking about evil dead um and Ar- an army of darkness it's kind of a yeah it's yeah. like it's earnestly silly in yes its, in its way <laughs> also love that it opens with bruce campbell not in army of darkness this is bruce campbell versus army of darkness yes. up top with really cool special effect logo uh, whatever you want to call it, font. Um, yeah. Favorite shot in the movie? Probably the shot of like t- 
two-pronged ash howling in the moon or whatever. I love it so much. Uh, this is one of those movies that gets better every time I watch it. It's like a personal personal favorite. Just f- If you're a, a fan of filmmaking and especially not even horror. I don't think you have to be a horror person at all to appreciate this. I found out the other night. I was delighted. I was watching this Evil Dead 2 in bed. Basically, Mandy and I watch something until she falls asleep. And then I put something on that I was watching that I would want to watch that she doesn't care about. But I, she ended up catching the end of Evil Dead 2 and started to make a, I could see like a, a light bulb go off in her head. And she revealed to me that she has seen Army of Darkness like a million times growing up and that her dad loved this movie and watched, she's watched oh. it on cable like a dozen times, completely unaware that it was an Evil Dead movie. Uh, so a you think you know a person right uh, but b it just goes to show how hard universal tried to like make this movie appeal to all people like they really didn't so her dad doesn't know i don't know i don't know about her dad i don't know if her dad knows about evil dead or cares but i think he just appreciated this slapstick comedy of this medieval movie which is like yeah it really does it stands alone perfectly fine there's really you know they give you everything you need in the first 10 minutes to tell you what's going on yeah so in order to appeal to the widest demo you know universal dropped any mention of evil dead uh reduced it to army of darkness to allow it to stand alone rather than being tagged as a cold sequel desperately wanted the pg-13 given their target audience was primarily teens, but they didn't get it. Various parties involved attempted to tone it down, resubmitting it, couldn't pass as PG-13. They eventually let it go as an R. This movie makes me laugh out loud more than most movies, I would say. Uh, so many, st- I mean, of course, like stupid lines, like give me some sugar baby at that moment is so funny. But <laughs> it's really just like Bruce <laughs> Campbell's, be like with such conviction as ash like when he f- is like starting to lead them for the first time and scaring them with his boom with his shotgun this is my boomstick yeah. and the way yeah. he's yelling at them and like s smart shop s smart yeah. got it and like the way he yells, yeah. got it like i love it it's so fucking funny it kills me there's a, yeah and there's yeah. also like a physical gag of like uh, uh, a skeleton gets like kicked into the air really high and then just explodes eventually <laughs> and that kills me too <laughs> What's what are some of your I love, favorite I, gags? Well, my the uh, when we did our I did a, this, my other podcast, sourcealcohol.com's podcast. We did um, a thing about Sam Raimi's movies, and I, we were asking people their favorite lines from just from Sam Raimi movies in general. And my friend, my dear friend Nathaniel, um, mentioned one one I hadn't thought about, but is really great. Is uh, when, <laughs> early on when Ash is talking to uh, one of the medieval guys. He said, yeah, when he gives him the whole the rundown of like what, uh, you know, the the system that he's in here. And that just goes, well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. <laughs> and then follows it up with, well, I got news for you, pal. You ain't leaving but two things right now. Jack and shit. Jack left town. Yep. It's like I love that. Too. So it's it's stuff that's that's funny on its own, but also sort of like sort of not to be nerdy about it but like kind of meta funny like it's the the dorkiness of it is funny and also the line itself is funny it's just like this really delicate <laughs> balance and like really so many of the lines in it this, this, that's really where this has it over the other evil dead movies which have you know have their moments groovy etc but this really has some great ash lines and this they tread a great line of the lines themselves being kind of funny and also just and campbell's delivery being funny and also the like ash what they indicate about ash being kind of a boob also being very very funny 
there's it's yeah it's, if it's you watch hilarious. all the versions there's so many different alternate takes of lines that make it into some of them too like a little line arama little line arama <laughs> like yeah there's a line that says i think in the is it the theatrical that he says good bad i'm the guy with the yeah, gun yeah. that's a quote yes. from theatrical in the other one it's i ain't that good it went whatever yeah. is what he says so like there's just little stupid things like that um but yeah i mentioned earlier there's a 96 minute director's cut that's sam's original vision it's the one that premiered at the sitkiss festival in october 92 is the longest available version of the movie for years the only way to see it was on a very dark money vhs bootleg which is circulating even before its u.s theatrical release oh my god and this is the only version of the director's cut to feature the universal logo and a full-frame laser disc released in Singapore, although this disc may be a non-official bootleg. The director's cut was later restored to the masses by Anchor Bay in 2000, but this release was flawed, restored using a Japanese D2 of the international cut and Bruce's personal three-fourths video copy of the director's cut. The video quality of the restored scenes is very poor, often dark and muddy. The Anchor Bay release is also missing a shot of Bad Ash ripping off Sheila's arm. Uh, Anchor Bay claimed that better elements were not that did not exist, but that was proven wrong when then another version came out in 2003 by MGM. Anyway, though Bruce and Sam relented at 96 minutes, that at 96 minutes the film seemed a little baggy and was probably too heavy an assault on the audience's senses, this is still probably the least uneven and most coherent version, according to this website. I don't know if I agree with that. And then there's uh, the international cut, which is an 88-minute version prepared by Dino De Laurentiis for markets outside the U.S., uh, that played it played theatrically in the UK, Australia, Japan, and many other countries. It is ostensibly an edited version of the director's cut, but with the inclusion of the S-Mart ending instead of Sam's original apocalyptic ending. Uh, this was primarily the only version on home video in those countries for a long time. Uh, and then there's the US theatrical cut, which is the one that is exactly what it sounds like. The US theatrical cut is the shortest one. Uh, it's like 81 minutes, and honestly, my preferred version... The version was created because the distributors primarily universal had final cut and arbitrarily demanded editing changes where they and their focus groups and test screening audiences saw fit. Everything unrelated to the central plot was trimmed way back and new sections were added to be shot, including a new introduction and a more heroic ending. This version of the film is by far the least coherent of the four cuts because the original shooting script was so, yeah, I'm not going to keep reading there. They're, they're <laughs> uh, editorializing. I don't agree with that. I think it's the best one, but in addition to that, you're probably like, how is there another one? There's also a U.S. TV cut that's 88 minutes, but it's different than the 88-minute international cut. <laughs> Do with that what you will. You can find out all this information on bookofthedead.ws. They have every. They even have, in addition to breakdowns of the different versions, all the deleted scenes from the script that never got shot. So you can read wow. every little detail of every iteration of every script of every evil dead movie if you're so inclined and, and not to, not to like blatantly pr plug a product but that scream factory edition is a godsend it is because it is fans of this movie will recall there have been so many dvds of this that include various cuts i don't even i maybe there was something that had collected all of them together on dvd at some point the four different cuts um but and they all have different titles and it's like as you said there's like a screwhead edition that like doesn't really have any anything to that's anything but a re-release of the movie uh there's a boomstick edition there's a couple different ones that are called don't get that the screwhead edition i'm telling you no no 
And there's uh, there's a couple different ones that are that came out with the title Bruce Campbell versus Army of Darkness with cool different you know cover art. There's like a bootleg cut, but that got an official release and all this stuff. And the Scream Factory edition really just like this is the and then some of those things were released on Blu-ray at some point. The Scream Factory edition really is everything you need more than you need, frankly, because you're probably not going to watch the international or the TV cuts that often. But like, it's nice to have. And it's it's I, I can't speak to whether every single special feature previously created was ported over. It, it was. Um, it was. Uh, Everything's on there. OK, yeah, that's it's, it's so good. And even though it's, it's wild to see, though, that the commentary uh, listening to the commentary on it is like circa Raimi finishing for love of the game it's just weird to think that the commentary was actually just recorded like five or six years after army of darkness came out and now it's like 20 years after that yeah <laughs> which is just which is just crazy this movie turns 30 uh in less than a year um but yeah that uh, you know sometimes it's so hard to wade through like what's the best edition of something with the with the what's the best transfer what is the best features that scream factory I mean, they they do good work in general, but that Scream Factory Army of Darkness, I fought, finally bought it like a year ago, yeah. and it is so nice, and it has all the stuff you want, and you don't it need does. to buy another edition of Army of Darkness ever again, as far as I unfortunately, can Unfortunately, unfortunately, you do, because in September, oh, no. in September, no. the same, it, you, you don't think you'll care about this, because you already own it, but it's the same edition, just now upgraded to 4K from, from, oh, from okay. Shout well, Factory. So and that's nice and simple. Personally, though. I'm annoyed as someone who had to buy it right now and watch it quick, <laughs> and hastily watch all the features. And now I will want that version in September. Right. Uh, but right. Uh, check out my eBay page. Where I'll probably be selling that in just a few months. <laughs> um, yeah. Shout Factory, Scream Factory. There was a period where they were on sale a couple years ago and I just was buying and hauling them and saving them. I having not even opening them, just putting them in the, in the closet. And that has been really paying off this week as I'm busted out day of the dead land of the dead they have all these amazing collector's editions of these movies that i had previous editions of that sucked so love shout factory love scream factory and i can't recommend that medieval times the making of army of darkness documentary enough it's one of those documentaries that you know this movie is such perfect fodder for a behind the scenes documentary that you hope it doesn't disappoint you know and it doesn't it's really really great stuff um yeah, I'm glad we talked about Army of Darkness. I love this movie. You know, what a picture. It was it wasn't a hit or anything. It cost 13 and it made 13. So no one was super pissed, but that does not mean it's profitable. And of course, it took many <laughs> years of cult hit status for it to, you know, become what it is now. Uh as I said before, Evil Dead 4 never happened, but hopefully it might. And technically Sam Raimi and Bruce Campbell and Evil Dead work together again. There is Ash versus Evil Dead a stars TV show. I think it lasted three or four seasons. Uh, Sam Raimi directed the pilot, which I've seen a million times and it's fun. I keep watching like I'm start. I've started over like another time to try and get through it. And I keep, not that I get hung up or anywhere. I just keep forgetting about it. And then I end up watching season yeah, one, a yeah. third time. So I'm trying to get through as for Evil dead. And I will, um, I'm excited now. I have to having, you know, steeped myself in the character and the mythology, but like, the problem that I used to have, the problem that I had with the show when I kind of gave up the first time is that like they really go hard with the ashes of buffoon thing. And like that, I think everyone telling Sam that he was wrong to, you know, try to make the whole thing about, no, he's a boob the whole time. That's it. Like, I think they were right to say, no, he needs to have, have some compelling movie stuff, movie character stuff right. happen right. because the, yeah, I think there's a problem in the show, but I'll, I'll wait till I watch the whole show to get through it. Uh, before I talk more shit, 
and are we gonna do the remake are we gonna cover the remake or do you feel oh like jesus christ um i forgot <laughs> i forgot i genuinely forgot because um i know you don't like it i'm, I'm I, interested I, I really it don't like it, it and that's a hot take because people really like it so we do have to do it yes um awesome next oh. week will be nope right um yes and then we'll do evil dead remake and then We'll see what happens from there. But yeah, we'll do Evil Dead Remake. I recently bought the Blu-ray as well to rewatch it. I don't know if there's a commentary on there or anything. But I was interning for the studio that made that like afterwards. And uh, we were they were all really hot on a sequel until they were not. And it never happened as well. But now we're getting Evil Dead Rise this year. Who knows how that's going to be coming to HBO Max. Uh, I already hopefully pl- they'll just release it like right after we're done with this. Yes, <laughs> just slot it. Hopefully in we have no release date, but I've been doing it. That's why we're doing it so piecemeal and delayed because <laughs> I'm just trying yeah, to hopefully yeah. accidentally knock into Evil Dead Rise. I mentioned earlier on Patreon we're talking. You know, uh, we have the live episode coming up this week, but last week uh, we put out an episode on Thor four, and you should check it out because it was a really great conversation. I had a viral tweet about that movie. And boy, are my mentions miserable. They have not stopped. <laughs> Never tweet about a Marvel thing is what I've learned. Or also, do tweet about it if you like engagement. Because people <laughs> never stop. All I said was, I saw it in my theater. Nobody thought it was funny. And I've it's been days of people being like, well, my theater thought it was hilarious. And then other people being like, well, my theater was like this guy's theater. And it was dead. And I'm like, wow, what? Can you believe the the spectrum of human emotion it goes so far yeah. <laughs> um people accusing me of lying for cl- i don't know why for clout of some kind um love the idea of being like i'm gonna tell these motherfuckers nobody liked thor when when people liked <laughs> thor i'm gonna really get them uh anyway that conversation is really fun and is on our patreon along with the live episode and literally a hundred other ones okay bye <laughs> Forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with the freaky stuff.